Welcome to my Love Life Podcast, episode number 118, What is Your Problem? It's May 8th, 2023. I'm your host, Lisa A. Lundy, author, blogger, YouTuber, motivational speaker, etc. I am also a member of the Newsweek Expert Forum. What I do is I help people be happy, healthy, and well-loved, even when life is extremely difficult. As my disclaimer, this podcast does not constitute medical or therapy advice in any way. My music is by Howie Moskovich. What is your problem? This is something that is said frequently in everyday life. I know know I've said it, and I know quite a few people have said it to me. I have some thoughts about this that I think will be impactful and hopefully will help some of you take back your, your power because for some people, this question, what is your problem? is results in a loss of power. So let's get going. If you happen to be new to my content, I hope you will visit my website at www.lisaalundy.com and enter my current giveaway. Next is my disclaimer. I am not a medical health professional. I am not a therapist and nothing that I say in any of my podcasts, videos, written content, is intended to be medical or therapy advice in any capacity. You as a consumer should get your medical or therapy advice from a licensed healthcare provider. If you are listening to this podcast and you are feeling suicidal or life has just been unbearable for you or you're thinking you just can't continue, I am asking you to stop and make a phone call and call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. That number again is 1-800-273-8255. I am asking you to talk about how you're feeling. I am asking you to tell people, and I am also asking you to take the help that is available because we do have a large amount of help available for you. So that's my request. My next little piece is for the deaf and hard of hearing community. I currently have transcripts for all of my podcasts on my hosting platform, rss.com. Once a new podcast is uploaded and published, A new transcript, corresponding transcript, will be generated within a few hours and then available for you. I am diligently doing my best to improve my speaking, my flow of speaking, my speed, and my pronunciation so that you are left with a more valuable transcript for your use. So I beg your indulgence. And eventually, my transcripts for my podcast will also be on my website. We're working, we've been working on that. All right. So let's dive in. What is your problem? 
Well, I hope you can just hear in that phrase, that question or statement. Sometimes it's made as a statement and sometimes it's really made as a question, maybe a rhetorical question, not a question to be answered. It's extremely common. It's all over the place. And one thing I will say about that question, what is your problem, is inherent in that is some level or insinuation of blame or that there's something wrong with you. Like, what is your problem? That's inherent in that, in my opinion. And here's the issue. We have X percentage of the population. Who knows what the number is? I do not know what the number is. <laughs> I need to get with my Gallup people. Uh, who feel that they have a problem. Like, they feel like they are the problem or there's something wrong with them. So when you say that statement or that question, what is your problem, it, it resonates with those people differently than someone who doesn't feel the same way. So if someone has healthy self-esteem, separate from their circumstances, not self-esteem attached to their job, their role, their status in life, etc., when someone has healthy self-esteem and someone says, what is your problem? It's not a big deal. It's just not a big deal. And you have whatever response you have. But for many people who are already feeling unworthy, already feeling undeserving, unlovable, that there is actually something wrong with them, that question gnaws at them and it, and it's and it's just not the best thing in the world. So I'd really like to give you some new thoughts about this because I did do a little dive into my friend, my friend called PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D, PubMed Central last week. And I have to say it was very amazing. It was amazing because it left me with a new epiphany, a new insight, a new very big insight for me. And I am going, going to say that this, what I'm about to say, is one of the underpinnings, one of, one of many, but one of the underpinnings of our biggest societal problems and issues. Now, I do say one, there are many, but this is one. So before I get into it, what are our biggest societal issues and problems? Well, some of them are suicide, addictions, the perpetuation of adverse childhood experiences, domestic violence, domestic abuse, and I say domestic abuse separate from domestic violence because there is domestic abuse without the violence. There's quite a bit of that, in my opinion. The development of depression, anxiety, numbing, splitting, major depressive disorder, and other mental health issues. The development of people who become narcissists, psychopaths, sociopaths. The top health impacts of adverse childhood experiences, which include cancer, strokes, severe obesity, low-functioning adults, irrational adults, and low self-esteem. That's a list of many of our top issues 
or problems in society and in, and in the world. So what is one common denominator that binds all of these or is the underpinning for all of those? Well, in looking at the research, I believe that it is trauma. And especially undistinguished and unknown trauma, which, by the way, is unknown or undistinguished because of this term that's called trauma blindness. So there is, in the research, trauma blindness. So you're blind to the trauma, which I will get into. So, so what if... Suicide addictions, adverse childhood experiences, domestic violence, domestic abuse, mental health issues, and all of these other issues that are, are big societal problems. What if trauma is the underlying cause or source or root, and we are blind to it because of this betrayal blindness? Well, isn't that amazing? It's just it's just an an epiphany above, above all epiphanies to me. But I suspect that there's some validity as I go through some of these other pieces of, before I get into trauma blindness. So if it's true that trauma that we are blind to because of trauma blindness is at the root of suicide addictions, these, these traumas that children have in their childhood, domestic abuse, domestic violence, then would we not need to change our approach? I suggest that we probably might need to change our approach because it doesn't seem to me that we are widely and commonly talking about trauma. We're not talking about mistreatment by parents and, and all kinds of things. So, what role does trauma play in these as in these areas? Well, I think it has a lot to do with it, which will go up. And and by the way, so when I say this, we know a lot of trauma happens in childhood. I am not here in any way to indict parents for making mistakes or getting things wrong. I totally understand that parents do the best job that they can possibly do. So I'm not here to indict parents. At the same time, as a parent, because I am a parent, I made mistakes with my children. And my children are aware that I have made mistakes. I made mistakes with them. And I have owned the fact that I made mistakes. And I have apologized for the mistakes that I made and the things that I was unaware of. There were things I was unaware of when I was raising them, which, which would have been helpful, but, uh, but I take responsibility and my children understand that however many times, even for the rest of my life, however many times I have to apologize for the mistakes I made, I will apologize that many times or that many times times a hundred. Yet we have parents in America and in the world, who will not admit they made a mistake. They will not admit they did something bad or did something wrong. They will not cop to that at any level. Leaving their adult children, children or adult children, carrying the bag. So, um, 
one of the things that you know we have we have we have adults who have blown up a family or blown up two families and take no responsibility. So part of the piece of this podcast is the blame in the in the question what is your problem that we blame people for how they got put together. We blame people because they don't know how to function or they don't have boundaries or they don't have coping skills or they fell into addictions or they became suicidal or they ended up in a domestic. We blame, blame, blame. And it's all over the social media, people calling people losers. Oh, if you're living in your parents' basement at 29, you're a loser. Oh, that breaks my heart. How about if you're alive at 29? Something's going well. Let's get let's get to work. Let's let's band together, people. So, I am going to cover some aspects of trauma underlying these major societal issues that we are not talking about, and then some different pieces. We're going to go through this in layers or pieces. So. I'm going to go through just really quickly a list of common situations that can cause childhood trauma or or adult trauma that we are not talking about openly, widely, without shame or embarrassment. One, withholding love and affection, and I include the absence of love and affection. Invalidating your feelings, lack of emotional skills and regulation, and emotional regulation, abuse of any kind, emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, sexual abuse, economic abuse, which is extremely common, parents playing favorites, witnessing one parent being abusive, emotionally cruel, or mean to the other parent, absence, absent violence, or witnessing violence in the home or witnessing violence in the neighborhood. The serious illness of a parent, sibling, or close family member, poverty, homelessness, addictions, divorce, separation, infidelity, remarriage, blended families, bullying by a sibling or mistreatment by a sibling, having a parent who is a perfectionist, having an absent parent, meaning a parent who is living in the home with the family, but is emotionally and otherwise absent. Hoarding, making the child be a scapegoat or in a double bind situation, having low self-esteem and or irrational thinking, not having healthy boundaries or any boundaries, preventing your child or children from having or making friends, being envious, resentful, or jealous of your child, having mental health issues in one or both parents, including depression, major depressive disorder, narcissism, being a psychopath or a sociopath, borderline personality disorder, etc. Having a parent or sibling go to prison, the death of a parent, a sibling, or a very close family member, and passive-aggressive anger and passive-aggressive behaviors, cheating, lying, betrayals, criminal activity, pathological lying. Well, that's actually more than 25. I have it bulleted as 25 in my notes, but it's more than 25. These are common situations, and we know that from the ACE, Adverse Childhood Experiences Testing, 
and the Adverse Childhood Experiences Research from the 90s. We know these are common. You can look it up all over the web. If you haven't taken the Adverse Childhood Experiences test, I, I highly suggest it. But these things that I just covered are common. They are very common and we typically are not talking about it. So why not? Well, this next piece, which I found in my little PubMed guide last week, is called Betrayal Blindness. And it's extremely, it's just, it's to me, it's compelling. It is amazing. And why are we not talking about betrayal blindness? Well, you can't claim or own what you don't see. And I do believe this is one of the pieces as to why we're not talking about trauma is because of betrayal blindness. And so betrayal trauma is one form of trauma. I'll get into that. But I want to first give you this taste of this betrayal blindness. So the blindness to betrayal. So this is, by the way, from Jennifer Freed, F-R-E-Y-D, Ph.D., from the University of Oregon, who is the originator of betrayal trauma and betrayal trauma theory from her 1991 presentation at Langley Porter Psychiatric Institute. So betrayal trauma is referring to a kind of trauma that is independent to the reaction. So I'm going to read a quote from her material. Quote, Betrayal trauma occurs when the people or institutions on which a person depends for survival significantly violates the person's trust or well-being. Childhood physical, emotional, or sexual abuse perpetuated by a caregiver are examples of betrayal trauma. End quote. So betrayal blindness then is the unawareness or the not knowing or perhaps forgetting about a trauma that's exhibited towards the betrayal. And so the blindness uh, may extend to betrayals that you don't necessarily or we as society don't necessarily con consider a trauma, for example, adultery or unfairness in the workplace or inequities in society. So in the betrayal blindness, victims, perpetrators, and witnesses may display betrayal blindness in order to preserve their relationships or to preserve institutions or to preserve social systems that they are dependent on. So in my view, looking at this, we have major issues in society that for sure, probably, most likely, very likely, are linked or caused or driven by trauma and then we are blind to that because it's been a betrayal. So childhood traumas, by the way, in my opinion, would of course fall under the betrayal trauma because 
you you're you're dependent upon your parent or your caregiver whoever that is and then there's a betrayal because they don't live up to their job and their role of taking care of you so I'm speculating that we are blind to trauma because of betrayal blindness which then interrupts or thwarts our ability to solve the problem at its root because when you solve a problem if you don't get to the core of the problem or the root of the problem you're just doing a band-aid approach that's that is not how I solve problems you can you can band-aid it if you want I'm not a fan of band-aid approaches I'm a fan of let's get in let's get to the core problem let's get to the root of the problem and let's solve it at the core so we don't have it anymore so I want to quickly cover some types of traumas. Now, this is very interesting because it's synonymous to me or, or the same as years ago when I was working with my kids years ago on self-esteem, I went to find a self-esteem test on the internet and I, I found one and it was, I don't know, eight or 10 questions. I thought, oh, I should look at another one. So I looked at another one and it also was eight or 10 questions or whatever number of questions, but they were different questions. So I thought, hmm, well, here we have two different self-esteem assessments with different questions. Well, let's go look for some more. So I looked for some more, looked for some more. I found no continuity. So I just took, took a bunch of them, married them all together, made one log. 45, 45 question uh, low self-esteem test. So in looking at traumas, it looks like there's different ways of categories and category making trauma categories. So one is type one and type two. Type A type one trauma, according to the research, is a single event, sudden and unexpected, high levels of acute threat. Type 2 trauma is repeated and or protracted and somewhat anticipated. So that's one view of trauma. Then there's places that will say, well, there's three categories of trauma. The three categories are acute trauma, complex trauma, uh, chronic trauma. Of course, I'm adding betrayal trauma because, of course, that we can't, we can't leave that out. And then there are places that will use the behavior that's the trauma, for example, bullying, and count that as a category. So how you look at how many types of trauma there are, well, I, I can't help you with that. That's, it seems inconsistent. But there are at least, I think, acute, chronic, complex, and betrayal are, are good are good start. They're a good start. And I would say that it's not a complete start because if you had certain situations, they would be they would be a betrayal, they would be complex, and they and they would be chronic. So we'd have multiple of the categories. Like it's not well, it's only chronic, or it's only complex, or it's only betrayal. I don't I don't think that that's workable, and I don't think it's reasonable, and I don't think it's accurate. So. It can help you for what the actual absolute categories are, but that gives you the flavor. Now, in this whole idea that maybe trauma is underlying suicide, and I, I will talk about that because it is, it does, and addictions, well, yes, yes, on that too. 
uh, but there's a couple key terms I want to bring to the surface so we are using accurate language and concepts and constructs. So betrayal trauma, and this is something that Dr. Freyd, F-R-E-Y-D, is responsible for. And here's the definition. I already mentioned that it's a trauma independent of the reaction. So it's independent from the reaction. And so here's from her 2008 research, quote, betrayal trauma occurs when the people or, or institutions on which a person depends for survival significantly violate that person's trust or well-being. So of the examples I gave earlier of situations or things that could cause trauma, well, how many of them fall under situations that a parent or caregiver is responsible for? Well, the majority of them, almost all of them. And domestic abuse. Well, domestic abuse, absence the violence is very common. Domestic abuse with the violence is common, is a betrayal trauma. So we have many, if not most, traumas are a betrayal. Institutional betrayal, another uh, piece from Dr. Freed, is refers to re wrongdoings perpetuated by an institution upon people who are dependent on that institution, which could be a workplace, including failure to prevent or failure to respond supportively to wrongdoings by individuals uh, committed within the, within the context of the institution, which, by the way, would include a workplace who inappropriately responds to the potential of workplace violence. So that's institutional betrayal. And we actually have a good number of, of literature on institutions or employers who have betrayed their, their, their customers or betrayed their employees, etc. So the next piece is extremely interesting and very important, in my opinion, which goes by different names. So one name is generational trauma. Another term is intergenerational trauma, and another term is transgenerational trauma. From what I can tell in looking at these different terms, they're all referring to the same thing. At least that's how they read. And that is this idea and this theory postulated that trauma can be passed unwittingly and unknowingly from generation to generation in ways we really don't completely understand or understand at all. The upshot of generational trauma, or however you want to, whichever term you want to use, is that triumphing, triumphing over trauma or adversity can also be passed from generation to generation. So we have families where alcoholism is, you know, in generation, this generation, the next generation, and the next generation. Or we have families where domestic abuse is generational. We have families where, you know, children grow up and break the cycle. So generational trauma is, is it's very fascinating. And of course, I, you know, overlaid this my family with my children thought, oh, okay, well, here's the generational trauma and here's the generational triumph, 
Like it's not all bad. You can pass very, very good things on. And it's interesting because we're not exactly all clear about, about the transmission, how it's transmitted. The next term is very, very important because it is also, in my opinion, much like the betrayal blindness or the blindness to trauma, really it's probably trauma blindness, that is trauma bonding. So trauma bonding is where a person who has been abused develops some kind of unhealthy attachment to their abusers. And the people who are most vulnerable to trauma bonding are those with a childhood history of abuse, either physical, emotional, sexual, or neglect, or those whose childhood environment was volatile, neglectful, abusive, or chaotic. The, the victim of trauma in this trauma bonding concept uh, will probably defend the actions of their abuser, feel a sense of loyalty, possibly isolate from others, because trauma can create a powerful emotional bond that is sometimes hard to change or break down. Following abuse or an abusive incident or series of incidents, sometimes the trauma perpetuator or the trauma per one who's doing the trauma will try to make amends or redeem their reputation or say they're sorry with some type of kind gesture or offer of support. I think that's extremely common. Um, at any rate, so trauma bonding. And you couldn't you just see how you grew up in a dysfunctional family experiencing childhood trauma, not knowing your childhood is abnormal, because how would you know that? How would you know your childhood wasn't normal until you got out in the world and had some other experiences and you're bonded to your the perpetrator of the trauma, you're bonded to your parent or you're bonded to your parents. I'm not saying it's bad. The power is in knowing that this is going on. Now, the other piece about this is understanding the impact of trauma on human health. Now, there is a great piece, fairly extensive, on the uh, National Library of Medicine, which is under the National Institutes of Health, called Understanding the Impact of Trauma. That's all on the web. So you can find, under, if you Google Understanding the Impact of Trauma, you'll see it's NCBI bookshelf, and it's all about trauma. So I'm just going to give you some snippets because as I'm going through some of these impacts for trauma, which people may be blind to, then I want you to think about, okay, what are our major societal issues and ooh, what, where does this list fit? So, and, and the first piece is that everyone responds differently to trauma. There are people... <laughs> like myself, who are like the, tri the, the trauma champs. Like, we don't even know we had a trauma until, like, we're old people. And we just by hook or by crook, by whatever means and however it happened, develop the skills and capacities not to have these negative impacts from trauma. 
So trauma responses are normal reactions to abnormal things. So I want you to hold that these trauma responses I'm going to list, they're normal reactions to trauma. Trauma is, is abnormal stuff going on. All right, PTSD, exhaustion, confusion, sadness, anxiety, agitation, numbness, disassociation, blunted affect, depression, persistent fatigue, sleep disorders, nightmares, fears, flashbacks, uh, anger, shame, fear. Trauma can impact your emotions, your physical body, your cognitive processing, your behaviors, your social and developmental areas. And, and so here we are, trauma, according to the uh, government and the government research, trauma can impact your learning, your behavior, and your, your, your development of yourself. So reactions to trauma when you don't have emotional skills to bring to the table are frequently things like self-medication or substance abuse, eating disorders, compulsive behaviors like gambling or overworking, or other, other, other high-risk or self-injurious behaviors. So in this whole piece, all those things I just listed are commonly found in our major, our list of major societal issues. And just to give you a couple more terms, because I know you're dying to have them, I, I found this term emotional blunting very interesting. It is the inability to feel positive or negative emotions. Detachment or, re, or reduced emotional responsiveness, which is common in people who are experiencing dis, depression, but it is also a common response to trauma. So we have people who are, they're not necessarily unhappy, but they just can't seem to feel happy or any, they're just kind of numb. And that's a, a good term is emotional blunting and a response to trauma or could be a response. Numbing is a biological process where emotions are detached from thoughts, behaviors, and memories. And this can be difficult to pinpoint or figure out because numbing symptoms often hide what's going on internally, like emotionally, internally. Uh, physical symptoms for trauma include chronic health problems, sleep disturbances, gastrointestinal problems, cardiovascular issues, neurological issues, muscular skeletal issues, respiratory issues, skin issues, and other problems. So there's a long list of health problems that can show up as a result of trauma. They're physical things. So the next term I'm, I want to introduce you to these magical and amazing terms so you can have them in your arsenal, is somatization. That's very interesting because what somatization is, is it indicates a focus on bodily symptoms or dysfunction as a means to express emotional distress. However, 
many people who are presenting with physical symptoms are unlikely to be aware of the connection between their emotions and their and the physical symptoms they are experiencing. So in this piece, they're actually talking about the mind-body connection, which I will mention later, and people having emotional reactions that show up in their body and being unaware that their physical symptoms are related to emotional distress. So one thing that was very, so there you have a huge, there's a huge impact for trauma mental health, development, physical health, physical problems. And we, in my opinion, are not giving credence to this whole piece. And what was fascinating in the research was the relationship between trauma and suicide addictions and mental health issues. So I found this very interesting because the relationship between emotional abuse and childhood in, in the relationship between emotional abuse in childhood and suicide later in life is a known thing. It is a known fact. So here is the, the statement from one of the abstracts from PubMed. Emotional abuse in childhood and su suicidality. The mediating roles of revictimization and depressive symptoms in childhood. That is from Childhood Abuse Neglect Journal, 2015, June 44, pages 130 through 139. Here's the statement. These findings suggest that emotional abuse in childhood has indirect harmful effects on suicidality in adulthood. It increases suicidality through higher occurrences of re-victimization and depressive symptoms in adulthood. So what we know is that emotional abuse in childhood is going to impact the potential or possibility of suicide in later adult life. It has that potential. Trauma has a correlation with addiction. Trauma can lead to mental health issues. And these are all things that are three of the major issues we are spending money on. We are focused and, and trying to fix or trying to solve or trying to prevent. But where is the piece about trauma, trauma bonding, trauma betrayal trauma, and trauma blindness? I, I don't I don't hear that people I'm talking about it but I, I'm not hearing it out in the world like it seems to be missing and so let's say that we really do want to prevent suicide and we really do want to stop and help prevent addictions and we want to prevent mental health problems from being developed then isn't trauma a place to start it seems like it would be. So the other piece I'm going to mention before I get into some other pieces of dealing with this are dangerous people. <sighs> sadly, sadly, some of the people who inflict trauma, who are the perpetuators or the, the ones who are doing the trauma to other people, some of those people are dangerous and some of those people 
are extremely dangerous. Some of them are psychopaths. Some of them are sociopaths. Some of them are simply one of the forms of, of narcissists. But they can be very dangerous. So if you are dealing with someone who is perpetuating trauma or has been, you know, the abuser, it, it would be helpful for you to proceed with caution. I, I really... I have, a, I have a podcast called uh, Dangerous People, and that podcast will help you. But some of those people who are doing these bad things, they're really bad. They're really, really bad. Really, really bad. Not all of them, but some small percentage of them. So the next piece of this really has to do with one of my key things is rational thinking. So when you are dealing with trauma, betrayal trauma, trauma blindness, or any type of trauma, rational thinking is going to be your best friend. Irrational thinking means that you have a, flaw, a flawed way of thinking, a flawed way or inaccurate way of viewing life, and that is not going to help you if you're trying to deal with a trauma of any kind, from any, from any current trauma, past trauma. And the issue is, Irrational thinking is very common. Well, that doesn't make it right, and it doesn't mean it's for you. No, it is not for you. That Leave that for other people. You go on the journey to deal with irrational thinking, which, by the way, is frequently termed a cognitive distortion. And yes, you can get over that. Now, the next piece of this is, is dealing with the emotions of it. Traumas are, by the very nature, very painful, and if you've been through trauma, you know. I've been through trauma after trauma after trauma. Little did I know, because I didn't find out I had ever had trauma until 2018. It was a real shocker. So there are a lot of different emotions wrapped up in trauma. And one of the reasons that trauma is so big, in my opinion, and so rampant is because we have um, adults who lack emotional skills and abilities. They lack emotional regulation. They, they are just completely lacking in emotional skills and abilities. So they cannot bring emotional skills and abilities to their parenting because it's absent from their life. And what that ha what happens is then children growing up with a parent who lacks emotional abilities or emotional regulation learns that it is unsafe for them to express their feelings. It is unsafe or unwise or a very, very bad thing. And some children do express their emotions and then they are told that they are wrong for feeling that way. So this is one of the pieces, this lack of emotional skills and abilities in parents is one of the aspects that perpetuates childhood trauma. And unfortunately, um, we have had a huge amount of growth in emotional intelligence uh, from the 1990s to the present time in part because of Daniel Goleman's book, Emotional Intelligence. And yet it's still very, very sadly lacking. So in addition to betrayal, 
blindness. We have a betrayal blindness where you're blind to the trauma because it's a betrayal. And then we're going to add in shame and embarrassment. Frequently, someone who has gone through a trauma or might be in a current trauma has some level of shame or embarrassment. And I'm not talking about shame or embarrassment that they caused it, although if they have irrational thinking and low self-esteem, they may be self-blaming. They may be feeling it's their fault, which would not be true, but they might be, if you don't have rational thinking, you might then self-blame yourself. But shame and embarrassment are common uh, two common emotions that I think, in my opinion, help keep this in place. They help contribute, shame and embarrassment, help contribute to the blindness and the secrecy, keeping it in darkness, because people are often embarrassed or ashamed when they've been treated badly. They didn't do something to be treated badly, but when you're treated badly, people often feel ashamed or embarrassed. So another piece of this, dealing with the emotions, which is extremely common and helpful to know, is the creation of false narratives. Well, now that I've covered with you the blindness, the blindness to betrayal, betrayal blindness, and, and just really blindness to, betray, to betrayal or to um, trauma, tra I think we should call it trauma blindness, um, then there's this piece of creating a false narrative, which I think is extremely common, very reasonable. I think it's probably normal. And, and that's done, of course, because we have this blindness. We have this blindness. So we can't look at that because we are dependent on a relationship with that person or it's our parent or our sibling or it's our spouse or it's, you know, whoever. And, and so, one way to function if you have this blindness is to create a false narrative and false narratives can be helpful so for example if you were in a domestic abuse situation without the violence it would be probably extremely helpful to create a false narrative to share with people because if you told people what was going on in your household they would demand that you leave immediately. And because of economic abuse, you might not be able to leave immediately. And sometimes because of potential danger, it might be unwise to leave until you've got some different things set up. So it could be very potentially problematic to have people demanding that you leave when it is unsafe or you don't have the resources or what have you. So there's an example where it would be very reasonable and helpful and a little protective to have a false narrative until you can line everything up and get all your resources to actually leave. But people create false narratives, I think, on a regular basis. I know in the past, in the past, not in the present, but in the past, I had created a false narrative about some trauma because I was ashamed and embarrassed at how I had been treated. Now, I was not feeling it was my fault. I was not feeling it was because of something I did or said or because of who I was, but I was ashamed that uh, I was treated in that manner, and it was a betrayal, so I just was unwilling to put that out there, and then, so I had this false narrative. So I think false narratives are fairly common, and it's, uh, 
something though that when you get on the road to saying, hey, I don't care what's happened in my life, I'm going to have this rich, amazing life, then it can be very helpful and very freeing to recognize when you've created a false narrative and get that shored up so that you're looking at life accurately and truthfully and in, in earnest. So emotions are your superpower if you get to work and learn how to use them. It's not what we're teaching people in society. So the other pieces on this are forgiveness, holding grudges, and keeping score. If you've had trauma in your life, you may decide that you are never going to forgive this person, that parent, this person, that person, your parent, your sibling, your spouse, your former, whatever. You can choose not to forgive. That's your choice. And in my opinion, forgiveness is your most powerful position. You're welcome to hold a grudge. I have a whole podcast about forgiveness. You can find books and books and books on forgiveness. Forgiveness is the powerful place for you to be. Holding a grudge, you're welcome to hold a grudge. And you're also welcome to keep score, which is what some things, some people do. It's just not powerful. You in life want to take back your power and be in a powerful position to have this amazing life, which is especially powerful if you've had trauma. So forgiveness would be something I would suggest you entertain seriously. My next piece about, and this podcast, is about love, affection, and happiness. As it relates to this topic of what is your problem? Well, I have a podcast titled The Lost Art of Love and Affection, and I have a podcast titled Neuroplasticity and Psychoneuroimmunology, both of which talk about the value of love or the value of love and affection. And in one of the main things that happens in childhood or that's missing in too many children's lives and adult lives is love and affection or the feeling that they are well-loved. So what would happen if we brought love and affection in abundance to people? What would happen? Well, there would be a major shift. And both of those podcasts talk about the value of love from science and other perspectives. But it would be transformative to have love and affection. What if, what if, instead of saying to your coworker or your family member or your child or whomever, what if instead of saying, what is your problem? You said, oh, you know what? It seems like maybe you need a little love tap. How can I support you? How can I help you? Like that's a very different response than what is your problem? I mean, it's a completely different response. And I do have a podcast titled Grow Your Heart Like the Grinch because your heart can be grown. Your heart will either grow or shrink or, I don't know, harden. You want to have love and affection in your life as much as possible because of the science of how valuable it is to human beings. So it's possible to have love and affection and to triumph over trauma. You do not 
let anyone ruin your life. Well, you can let people ruin your life. If you want to, go ahead. I, I am not having that. I am a no, 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 no one gets to ruin my life except me, and I'm not ruining my life. Like, why would I do that? So to, to take advantage of other science, you can springboard, you can take your trauma, you can take your adverse childhood experiences, you can take your adult trauma, you can take your current, the bad, nasty trauma, awful stuff that's happening right now, and use post-traumatic growth to springboard your life into a different future. You could totally change your life if you use the science of post-traumatic growth, which is basically using your trauma or your pain or your hardship to become a better version of yourself. So you grow and develop new skills and abilities. And in the process, life becomes richer and more rewarding. Now, I want to tell you that post-traumatic growth has been implemented and used since the very beginning of time. This is not a new concept. We have new terminology as of 40 years ago or however many years ago, but using a trauma or pain or hardship to your advantage and having your life propel upwards and go better is as old as time. It is not a new idea. It's, it's sadly not something that we're frequently employing or talking about, but what if you brought love and affection to your life? And what if you brought happiness to your life? Now, I, I don't mean happiness tied to your circumstances. I talk about happiness in terms of generating your own happiness separate from your circumstances. When you tie happiness to your circumstances or your situation or your roles or whatnot, then when those roles go away or your circumstances change, you can be very unhappy. And I don't, rec I don't recommend that. I mean, the reason I could be happy having all of my money stolen and all of my assets and left with a pile of debt is because my happiness has never been tied to my circumstances or at least not, uh, not forever, not forever. So you can triumph over trauma or any hardship if you get on the road to growing new skills and abilities and the research terminology would be under post-traumatic growth. And again, I hope you're going to listen to my podcast on, psychoneuro, on neuroplasticity and psychoneuroimmunology and listen to the science. This is very rich science, which really tells us that your mind and your body are connected. Whether you like it or not, whether you are willing to admit it or not, we know confirmed done deal in science that your mental health impacts your physical health and your physical health impacts your mental health. We are not walking around in society in 2023 acting as if, oh, you know, you have a, a body pain or a body ache or you have this or that. Well, what's going on emotionally with you? We typically are not talking to people that way. It would make a difference if we were, but we're not there yet. So I do hope you'll get on my team to get us there because there's like an amazing life that awaits everyone if they can, you know, deal with their stuff. And by the way, I'm not saying you have to unpack all your traumas and, you know, unpack everything. No, no, I'm not saying that. I never say that. 
you can if you want to. And what you could do instead of unpacking all your traumas is get to work on creating this amazing and magical life. So let me give you some suggestions. If you want to go unpack it, go unpack it. I totally support whatever you do. Like it's your life, do whatever you want. I don't, I have no skin in the game for how you live your life, but I do have some thoughts about what can help you triumph over trauma. So number one, here's my suggestions for you to have this rich, amazing life, despite any trauma. Number one, love and affection. And I mean platonic and romantic, ideally both, but take what you can get. <laughs> um, love is just very healing, very powerful. It Love is the most powerful emotion we have in the world. So bring love and affection into your life, romantic, platonic, both, whatever, with intention. Put it in your life with intention. Number two, rational thinking. I already mentioned that. It is critical that you deal with any cognitive distortions. Don't be saying, oh, well, I just found out I'm black and white thinking or all or nothing thinking or magical thinking or leaps in logic or what have you or an emotional reasoner. No, you go, woohoo. Woohoo for me. Look at what I learned about myself today. Now I'm going to chip away at that because I'm going for the rational thinking. Number three, compassion for yourself. Oh my goodness, people, bring some compassion to, to the table for yourself. You deserve compassion. Like life is hard and part of why life is hard is because we're not being honest. You've made it this far. However old you are, whatever state your life is in, it could be a mess. It could be magical. I don't know what state your life is in, but be compassionate with yourself. Seriously, for real, bring compassion to yourself or at least take my compassion for you because you deserve it. Number four, embrace the idea that you are already worthy. You are already deserving. You are. You are already lovable. I understand that we have 85% of the population in the world who is walking around feeling unlovable, unworthy, undeserving. I get it. I understand that. I'm just telling you that's not true. So embrace the idea that you are already in the state that you're in right now, already worthy, already deserving, already good enough, already lovable. And you can still go work on yourself and be a work in progress, but you're already lovable. You're already deserving. All right, number five, learn to use your emotions like the superpower they are. Your emotions are literally literally a superpower. The, the caveat is that you have to go through the process to learn how to identify, manage, and process your emotions and the pieces that are the building blocks for emotional intelligence. Next, learn to generate your own happiness separate from your circumstances. I do have a three-part podcast on a crash course in happiness, 
where I lay out the individual elements that will contribute to you having happiness in your life no matter what happens. It's, there's a lot of things. It's three, three podcasts because I don't know how you're going to have a happy life if you are completely out of integrity. I don't know. You Maybe you could, but I doubt it. So learn to generate your own happiness. Now, the next suggestion is you decide. You decide right now, right now in this moment, how is your life going to go moving forward? Like moving forward, how do you want your life to be? Get in the driver's seat. Then you're going to make a plan. You are going to take actions. You are going to create that life for yourself because it does not have to be the way it's been up till now. I mean, do not give your power away. My next suggestion is that you do strongly, I strongly, 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 strongly recommend you put forgiveness on your list. My next suggestion is to learn to control your mind. Oh, well, for some people, their mind will literally spiral out of control or be like a runaway train. And that has got to be very difficult, very problematic, very painful. I, I can't even imagine. So I do have a podcast about that. There are many, many, many ways to learn to control your mind. I mean, I talk about some suggestions in my podcast, but this learning to control your mind has also been written about since the beginning of time. It's not a new idea. It might be a new idea to you, but that will be helpful. My next suggestion is to take people with you on this journey to, to an amazing life. Make it fun and playful. Make it wildly fun. You could make having this amazing life be the most fun you've had in years, in decades, or since you were five. Like, I don't know how your life is. (laughs) People think I act like I'm five. (laughs) I'm a very childlike people, very playful. I'm not five, but um, I might act like I'm five sometimes. But make it a playful, playful, fun journey. You can name your team, create theme parties, events, prizes. Definitely, I would suggest you have a reward system because I'm a fan of those. And all of my other podcasts will help you in terms of taking back your power, taking the high road, you know, learning to deal with issues and problems. I assert that we are blind to the trauma. We are blind to the level of the trauma. We are blind to the types of trauma. We are blind to betrayal trauma, trauma bonding, and all of these things, in my opinion, are sourcing or are at the root of our major societal issues and problems. So my takeaway is it's time to understand that trauma might be what's eating at you. When someone says, what is your problem? That little, when it like kicks in for you, it really, that could be trauma. And so hidden trauma, trauma that you're blind to, you now can make choices about your life. You can direct your life in a different way despite trauma and take people with you because 
who who in the world hasn't had trauma? I think that's the bigger question. <laughs> that might be the Gallup poll question. Who in the world has not had any trauma? I'd love to know the answer to that. All right, my, my request is that you get your life together and let me help you. I want you to be happy. You deserve it. And share this podcast on social media to help other people do the same. All right, that's it. I'm Lisa Lundy saying thank you for listening to my Love Life Podcast. Episode number 118, What is Your Problem? I certainly hope you have some new things to say now as a result of this podcast besides What is Your Problem? If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe so you get the new ones automatically. Please share this podcast on social media so we can put a dent in making life better for so many people. Visit my website to enter my giveaway. Hang in there. I love you. Take care for now.